people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. We have a great guest today that I know a lot of people will be interested in hearing about, and his name is Dr. Tony Nakla. He's a board-certified dermatologist in Orange County, and he has been featured on numerous media outlets, and I'm so excited to have him today because he's going to talk to us a little bit about preventing skin cancer and tips to keep our skin healthy. So welcome to the show, Dr. Nakla. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, this is such an important topic for people who have kidney disease, especially those who have a, a transplant. So can you tell us a little bit about how often we should have our skin checked? You know, it kind of varies um, based on the patient's age, how uh, severely sun damaged uh, one is, and really their skin type. Um, other things, other confounding issues like what you just mentioned uh, those who are immune compromised and people who have had uh, transplants of all types, whether it's kidney or liver transplants. Um, the medications that, that you're on when you're, um, when you're a transplant patient actually make you more susceptible to things like skin cancers, specifically squamous cell cancers, uh, which are uh, the second most common type of skin cancer. So for normal, for, for, you know, People who don't have any risk factors, we, we typically recommend uh, once a year screening. Um, and the uh, American Academy of Dermatology says uh, get your birthday suit checked out on your birthday. Just to remember <laughs> it, just come on in on your birthday or, or you know, once a year. And uh, for people who have a history of skin cancer, uh, of the non-melanoma type, which is basal cell and squamous cell, the most common types of skin cancers, we usually screen them every six months or so, every three to six months. And then those who've had melanoma or a really strong history in their family, we usually recommend uh, they be screened uh, more frequently every three months, especially if they have numerous moles all over their body. You mentioned three types of cancer. Are there other types of skin cancer or are those the most common? There are a ton of skin cancers out there. There, there are some that are even more fatal than melanoma, actually, but uh, they're relatively rare. The three most common are the ones that I mentioned, basal cell number one and squamous cell number two. Those two are called non-melanoma type skin cancers uh, because they, um, they don't, people like to separate those two uh, categories because they don't spread to the body typically, they don't metastasize, uh, but they are locally destructive, sometimes invading all the way down to bone and uh, they do need treatment. And then you have melanoma, which is the deadly type of skin cancer. But there are certainly other types. Well, how is it treated? So there's different types. I've had, you know, I've had a couple of spots on my face that were suspicious, and the dermatologist just basically freezes them off and takes a culture. And luckily, I've had no signs of any type of cancer. So precancerous lesions that are called actinic keratosis, those are the ones that we're able to freeze off. 
the reason why we freeze those is those have the potential to progress into something called, into the type of cancer called uh, squamous cell carcinoma, which I just mentioned. Whenever we take a biopsy, it's because we've, we're kind of unsure whether or not it's precancerous or if it's already developed into something cancerous. And so we take a sample and we send it to the lab or we have it looked at under the microscope. And um, at that point, we make a determination whether or not uh, it's precancerous or cancerous. If it's cancerous, there are several treatments uh, depending on the type of skin cancer that it is and where it's located on the body. Uh, for example, um, if it's a basal cell on the back, we usually just uh, either numb it and burn it, or burn it or scrape it off with uh, with a hyf with what's called a hyfricator or a cautery type of instrument, um, or we cut it out and put stitches in. Um, if it's on the face, usually the gold standard of treatment um, across the country, and this is what I do in my practice, OC Skin Institute, is uh, Mohs micrographic surgery which is a type of procedure in which we remove uh, the lesion or the spot that's in question in layers, so to speak. So I take a little rim of skin around where it's located, and I look at it under the microscope. If the cells are clear and there's nothing cancerous left, we stitch the patient back up. And uh, if, it's, if there are still remaining cells that are cancerous, we go back in again and you know, we just take it as, as we need to until all the margins are clear. Uh, the reason why we use that procedure is to, to provide really the smallest incision possible, and it allows us to stay very, very close to the margin of where the cancer is. On the back or on the, you know, on the chest or trunk, we don't really, we've got a lot more skin to work with there, um, and so we, we usually just cut it out and stitch it up. One of my friends just had that procedure done on her back, and she was quite thin and didn't have much body fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, typically, you know, obviously if there's a lot more tension on a wound, if someone is, is uh, you know, thinner or if it's in an area that's just, you know, a, a really tight area, it does typically uh, cause a little bit more discomfort. That is true. And it's all of these procedures are pretty much done in the office and just sometimes just a local anesthetic? Yes, ma'am. Everything's done with local anesthetic. Uh, people typically spend about an hour or so in the office. Our technician comes in and we pre-process the tissue while the patient's waiting. And uh, it's pretty, I would say, pretty convenient to know that the cancer is gone right on the spot rather than having to send it out to a lab and, and, uh, and wait and, you know, bring a patient back in a week or so and have to take more. So it's, uh, it's definitely the gold standard of treatment for skin cancers of a certain type and, and definitely on the face, uh, hands, and, you know, genital area sometimes places where we have to spare as much normal skin as possible. Now, how should we check our body? There are certain parts of our body that we can't check. And I saw these spots on my face that were kind of changing, so I got an appointment immediately. But, you know, how do you suggest that or people check their bodies? I mean, you get a mirror or do you have a, 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 a friend? What What's the best way and how often? That's a great question. You know... If if someone if a patient of mine is married, a lot of times I I will even go as far as circling certain spots on someone's back and saying, hey, when you get home, tell your husband or wife to just keep an eye on these for you. And the things we the features we tell patients to look for is number one is the color is is you know is, is what I'm looking at the mole that I'm looking at is it tan in color is it really dark black? 
the dark black moles should should be checked out by a dermatologist. Um, the other thing is, you know, we have a mnemonic. It's the ABCDs of skin cancer, and A is for stands for asymmetry. If I look at my mole, is it symmetrical uh, or is it asymmetrical? In other words, if I draw a line through the center of it, do the halves fold well on each other, or are they kind of irregular and, and not really the same shape? Symmetrical moles are better. Asymmetrical moles are sometimes an indication that something's wrong. And then B stands for border. Are the borders of the lesion nice and smooth, or are they jagged, kind of like a sawtooth edge, or uh, you know, do they have like loops within the borders? Um, a smooth border is good. A jagged border is is you know again an indication for you to go and get checked out. And then C stands for color, which I already mentioned. But it's not only the darkness of the of the mole. The other issue to look at is a little other feature to look at is. Uh, are there numerous colors within the same mole? So um, usually a nice uniformly colored mole is, is good. If you've got a bunch of speckles and dark spots uh, or even grayish-brown spots in the same mole, that's a good reason to get checked out by a dermatologist. And finally, D is for diameter. Um, diameter meaning the size, which is bigger than about a pencil eraser. And then they recently added E to that. E stands for evolving. Has the mole changed or has it evolved or, or uh, sort of done something different over time as far as shape and color and size? So those are the ways to look at your moles. It's A, B, C, D, E. A is asymmetry. B is border. C is color. D is diameter and, or size. And E stands for evolving or changing. Well, and I'll add another letter to that because if my mole fit all those descriptions, I would be at F, freaking out. <laughs> the truth is none of those features really are sort of um, definitive. They're just, they're just reasons to go get checked out by a dermatologist. It's... And a lot of times, you know, even after all those little things are, are true in a mole, sometimes they're totally fine. Uh, but the important thing is to really um, take advantage of, of those really uh, highly trained specialist dermatologists that are that are experts in, in knowing how to care for your skin and, and don't wait too long because the truth is skin cancers of all types have a very high cure rate uh, greater than 98% when caught early and uh, melanoma is one of the deadliest cancers when it's when it's not caught early and why is melanoma is it just more invasive melanoma is um, is basically a cancer of the pigment-producing cells that are in the skin. And those cells are very, very um, highly active cells. Those cells are always uh, producing pigment. And, um, you know, when they become cancerous, they, they go haywire. And they can spread anywhere in your body. A lot of times they, they can spread to the brain or the, the, the lungs and, um, you know, when, when they're bad, they're bad. When they're bad, they're really nasty. And so, um, you know, a lot of times uh, that's the first thing that we're trying to rule out, really, is melanoma. The other stuff is, is certainly treatable. Melanoma is, um, when, it's, when it's gotten past the point, uh, it is one of the deadliest cancers that we know of. Well, I had my fourth kidney transplant last year, and my third transplant lasted 20 years, and I have been on steroids for 
you know, over 23 years. And I know that steroids increase your risk of skin cancer. That's why it's important to use sunscreen. And I always use sunscreen, you know, in my makeup. But can you tell uh, the audience a little bit about sunscreen? And if you have a 20 SPF uh, sunscreen and then a 20 SPF makeup, does it mean it's 40 SPF? Is it cumulative? So let me explain what SPF means first. SPF is the sun protective factor, and it's a measurement of skin burning. So basically, uh, when SPF testing is done on a product, it's applied to the skin, and they, they measure the amount of time it takes for the skin to burn. If you have an SPF 15, it takes 15 times as long for the skin to burn. SPF 30 is the same. SPF 100 is the same. A uh, hundred times as long. The truth is, once you get once you've gotten up to SPF 15, you've gotten really, really very strong, uh, adequate coverage. And so, on for for a normal day, you know, if just going in out of your car or driving to work, uh, we suggest at least an SPF 15. Um, for a day at the beach, if you're going to be outdoors all day, um, and you're going to be or you're going to be on a boat or playing volleyball or doing something a little bit more active. We typically suggest you go higher on the SPF, as high as you can find. And the reason why is not necessarily that the SPF is, uh, the higher SPFs are so much more protective than the lower SPFs, but that, you know, you're, you're going to be sweating and you're going to be sort of, you know, uh, in and out of water. And, and, and the more coverage, the better. It's kind of just a common sense um, approach. Now, more importantly than the SPF is actually the amount of sunscreen that you use. So let's say I use an SPF 100 and you use an SPF 15, and I only put a couple dabs of SPF 100 and I don't reapply, and you do everything the right way, which is you use a lot of sunscreen, and by a lot I mean a full teaspoon for the face, a full shot glass for the rest of the body, and you also reapply every two hours, um, you would be better covered than I would with an SPF 15 than, than you know, someone with an SPF 100. So the most important thing is really using the products correctly and making sure you apply the adequate amount and, uh, and reapplication re is key also. And one of the things, I, uh, the other day I was out and I don't like to wear hats. Is there any kind of SPF for your hair or scalp? You know, typically people like to use, well, first of all, you should be wearing a hat, especially if you have <laughs> thin hair. Um, but even if you don't, it's a good idea to wear a broad-brimmed hat. It'll, it'll help shade your face a little better and definitely protect the scalp. And that's really true for men who, are, who either shave their head or are bald, or women who have very thin hair. The other thing is people find it a little bit more helpful to use sprays in the scalp. And the reason why is obviously it's not going to goop up. It's just going to kind of go on like a like it, you know, uh, just like a spray, it'll, it'll absorb a little bit easier around the hair follicles. Other people like to use liquid sunscreens, and there's a number of delivery systems that you can use. Uh, usually the thinner, um, more watery products are a little bit better for the scalp. That's a good point, because, you know, I go out and I protect my face, but y you have scalp showing on the top of your head, and that would be a place that would be very difficult to see any changes in coloration. Absolutely. You're right. Now, if people have had previous sun exposure, are they more at risk for skin cancer? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it depends really on uh, your skin type. 
um, where you've lived. You know, people here in Southern California are, are certainly more at risk if they've grown up at the beach and, and uh, have gotten cumulative sun damage, you know, more than somebody who lives in New York, for example, or, or in Canada. Uh, same is true of people in South Florida. And really the skin type makes a big difference. I have Middle Eastern skin, so I was built for the desert. You know, <laughs> uh, people who have lighter skin types, they, they really weren't built for for um, for these brighter temperatures and, and, and the harsh um, harsh heat and, and light of the sun uh, that we experience here. Well, South I have California. a little bit of Italian blood in me, and I think that's what's protected me through all these years. I, I'm a little bit darker. And I have some of my friends who aren't that lucky to have that pigmentation, and they have to deal with skin cancer removal or spots frequently. Right. Now, when you're out in the sun, and you're, you know, how do you get vitamin D? If you have sunscreen on, because there's a lot of, you know, information in the news about you need enough vitamin D. Do you get vitamin D when you have sunscreen on, or how does that work? That's a great question. I'm actually working on a sunscreen right now. Um, that allows you to produce vitamin D while still protecting yourself from the sun. So the issue is, the dilemma is that currently when you wear sunscreen, you end up blocking not only the bad rays, but, you know, some of those good rays too. And um, even the good rays, um, you know, are, it's really kind of a complex issue because there's a cert very certain amount of, of sun exposure um, that actually is responsible for vitamin D. It's, it's within a very narrow band of light. Um, and the rest of sunlight really um, uh, is, br is broken up into several categories, UVA, UVB, UVC. And it's kind of, you know, a little bit out of the scope of this conversation, but when we wear sunscreen, we are blocking vitamin D production. Um, but that's not rationale enough to say, hey, let me go out and lay in the sun because sun, uh, sun damage and UV rays put you at risk for things like melanoma and other types of skin cancer. So the dilemma we face is how do you, get, how do you make vitamin D while protecting yourself against UV light? And the answer to that question is for now, sunscreen like crazy and try to take vitamin D supplements, especially if you're vitamin D deficient, which most people are. Uh, the other thing we sometimes tell people is to get a little bit of sunlight, unprotected sunlight, uh, maybe, you know, 5 to 15 minutes, a couple times a week, and try to leave your face out of it if you can, just maybe on the arms or the backs of the hands. And, um, you know, allowing a little bit of light isn't bad. Now, the sunscreen that I'm working to develop right now, actually, it blocks all of uh, the entire spectrum of, of light, UVA and UVB, except for a really narrow band in that UVB category, which is responsible for vitamin D production. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, and it still offers an SPF 15, uh, you know, with broad-spectrum coverage, meaning it protects against UVA and UVB. Well, is there any way to get a safe tan? Um, not really. Once you've tanned, you really, you really have, have experienced damage already. Um, and tanning is your skin's way of kind of making its own sunscreen. Imagine your skin is producing pigment in response to sunlight because it wants to protect itself from the sunlight. So <clears throat> it's really kind of your body's defense mechanism. It looks nice on a lot of people, but it's, um, it's not, you know, it isn't really, your body was an evolutionary developed or intended 
to uh, to be part of um, you know what people cosmetically believe is is more attractive. It's really yeah. just doing that to to protect itself against uh, harmful UV light. To just change subject a little bit because that was some great information. You're the author of the best-selling book, The Skin Commandments: Ten Rules to Healthy, Beautiful Skin. And I know we're probably at the end of our time, but can you give us a little bit of information or a top tip, and and then we'll let people know how to get this book? Absolutely, yeah. The top tip is the last chapter, which is Live Healthy. And uh, it's kind of the obvious one, but my book discusses things like really how to look at food and, and, uh, and, and how to um, pick the right foods for not only your skin but your body and how, how you know, living a healthy lifestyle, whether it's through exercise or, or um, you know, sort of stress relief is not only going to help, um, is not only going to help you achieve uh, optimal health, but also really show through your skin in the form of beautifully radiant skin. And uh, the entire chapter is devoted to giving you little tips about how to live healthy, how to, how to, how to uh, clean up your diet, how to um, you know, some simple exercises, some st- simple stresses, uh, uh, stress relievers, I mean, um, to, to maximize your health. Well, I know that um, one of my aunts, she would just kind of, wasn't a very happy person. And her facial expressions started to look like that. I mean, she'd get like the little, um, in the middle of her forehead and just, you know, it is, you have to be happy. If you're not happy, your face is going to show it. Right. Absolutely. If you want to learn more about Dr. Nakla, he has a great website called Tony, T-O-N-Y, Nakla, N-A-K-H-L-A dot com. And some great information about it. You can find some information about his book and, and his practice in Orange County. And I just want to thank you for, you know, taking the time to come talk about this topic because I think at the end of the day that people have to be very proactive in this. They can't wait. They need to diligently check for skin cancer or problems and not wait too long. And let me just also add that if if you're down here in Orange County, uh, the name of my practice is ocskininstitute.com. You can check our website out and uh, come on in for a free skin cancer screening. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's so important, too, especially with people with kidney disease. You know, we take a lot of immunosuppressant medication. We're immunocompromised, even if we're on dialysis. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Dr. Nakla, for providing this information, and uh, uh, it'll help everybody in the community. You got it. Thank you for having me. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 